So um, it can feel really good when promises are kept. Like this summer we're gonna go to Disneyland. If somebody said that every every year, every winter, and you never went, you start to not believe it anymore, right? But if somebody said that and they said, and yep, you did it, that'd be pretty cool. Well we have two stories today. One from Nehemiah, you can see Nehemiah, right? And one from Luke, that's what we used to say, you see Luke. And they're both stories, one time Ezra, the priest is speaking, and another time Jesus is speaking, and there's talking about Thing. God makes a promise. It's like done. 
The first reading is from Nehemiah. All the people of Israel gathered together in the square before the water gate. They told the scribe Ezra to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had given to Israel. Accordingly, the priest Ezra brought the law before the assembly, both men and women, and all who could hear with understanding. This was on the first day of the seventh month. He read from it facing the square before the water gate, from early morning until midday, in the presence of the men and the women and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. And Ezra opened the book in sight of all the people, for he was standing above all the people. And when he opened it, all the people stood up. Then Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands. Then they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. So they read from the book, from the law of God with interpretation. They gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. And Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep, for all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, Go your way, eat the fat, and drink sweet wine, and send portions of them to those for whom nothing is prepared. For this day is holy to our Lord, and do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. The word of the Lord.
began to teach in their synagogues and was praised by everyone. When he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. Then he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. The Gospel of the Lord. Yeah. 
difficult situation or a stressful situation, something that challenges maybe who you are, uh, especially if it's if you kind of base it on things that are surround you or people that surround you. Like who am I if my spouse dies or if my parents divorce or if I lose my job or my friends reject me or if I don't ace my finals or if uh, I don't get all state or my, my kids don't turn out like I hoped they would. Those are kind of times or some examples of times when that, that question of who am I really can, can come up, a chronic illness or something like that. Maybe it comes up for you all the time, I don't know, but it seems like it's stressful times that it comes up for me. Well, for God's people in the book of Nehemiah, their identity had been stolen. Of course, not like we think of today, not credit card theft or, or that kind of a thing. But over many years, they were returning to Jerusalem. In fact, there were, there were kind of three to five main groups that, that kind of returned for years and years to Jerusalem from exile in Babylon. They were taken away by an outside force and put into exile. And they returned to a, a city laid waste and a, and a land laid waste. And they began to rebuild by first uh, kind of putting a wall around their city. Now, they struggled with land squabbles uh, Amongst themselves, there were there were all kinds of arguments about those who had who had not gotten taken away, kind of squatted, you know, had kind of squatters rights on land, uh, versus those who came back and had kind of family history rights to that land. They struggled as they rebuilt from attacks from from outside uh, kind of tribes and nations that would come against them. Um, so all that's going on as they tried to find some identity, some kind of place again in the world. And they have these questions as their, both their land and their temple have been destroyed. Who are they? What's, what's their identity? And the question lingers with them as they gather this day uh, at the water gate. And they spend the next six hours listening just to the Torah being read by Ezra, one of the priests and, and scribes, and, and some other people as well. And it sounds like they also took breaks in the middle of these these readings to kind of explain and make sure that everybody understand, understood what was being read. But from early morning until about noon that day, they were basically subject to a six-hour sermon. No wonder there was weeping. <laughs> All right. Now, truthfully, the weeping does come, but it, it comes from the realization that the people have of how they had and how they have and were currently straying from God. How, how casually they had been about God's promises to them. How deserving they were of this exile. They kind of came face to face with the natural consequences of what had happened. And they cried. They cried out with regret and with shame and with remorse. And I can tell you if God's, if God's end game, if God is a punishing God, if that's what God wants to do, sort of wait for us to mess up and punish us, then their sorrow would have been increased and multiplied here. That isn't the point of God's law. Hear that clearly. That is not the point of God's law. It is not the point of God's judgment. The point of it all is ultimately to give a new start and life for the people God loves in light of their new perspective. And so the leaders insist. They, they actually tell the people that we don't hear all of it in our reading today. But they say, quiet down, quiet down, stop crying. I don't know if you've ever said that to kids. Stop crying. Or shoes, or whatever it might be. 
This is a day for celebration. I know I see that at Disneyland sometimes. Hey, they brought you here. This is the greatest, happiest place on earth.
brings a glimmer of hope in a dark tunnel or connects you to God and, and to others and gives you hope for the future. You have a sense of what happened that day at the Watergate. A promise to unify those whose identity had been stripped away. A promise that whispers from the past but impacts us even now. That's made abundantly clear as Jesus stands up in the synagogue of his hometown. He reads words of promise, not from the law this time, but from the prophets, specifically from Isaiah. And after he reads these words of promise, he rolls up the scroll. He places that, and after he does that, he, he places that promise, he places that identity and that hope and that future in and on himself. In other words, the promises of God become even less abstract. I think they were very real for those of the Watergate. But they become totally clear as, as, as they become embodied in the person of Jesus himself. And if we unpack what he says, he has a very short term. It's like two seconds, not six hours. But, he's, but what he says goes something like this. Today, this scripture, these promises, have come to the point of being fulfilled... And will continue into the future to be fulfilled. You see, this, this word that identifies us as one people in Christ Jesus isn't for a select few. It isn't for the nice people in Nazareth, or which are going to be so nice next week. You'll see part two of the sermon with Pastor Paul next week. It isn't just for those folks at the Watergate who are coming together hundreds of years before. This is an identity, a, a thing that sinks into our bones. These are promises that are as much for us as they are or ever have been for anyone else. And we get to do something. We get to preach a much longer sermon than six hours or six seconds. We get to carry this promise in the practices of our lives. We get to live it out in our day-to-day -day lives. These promises uh, become like a sermon in our lives of Jesus that is not fully realized yet but maybe perfectly, imperfectly, or, or partially realized right now. In other words, we're invited into this promise that Jesus offers. We're invited into the fold, not just so we can bask in those promises, but so we can understand our task as continuing to preach it. The law corrects our apathy so we might be connected to our family. That's kind of how I thought about it this week. The law corrects our apathy so we might be connected to our family and our identity. By far the best pre-kind of uh, national gathering service event that we ever did, I think I've done four of those now, the best one ever, I think the youth would agree, was probably in Detroit. Um, and the thing about the service in Detroit was the service itself, the thing we did, was nothing really spectacular. Drove around in a couple of vans, and one of them was towing a uh, trailer with a couple of kind of barrel, homemade barrel uh, barbecues in the back. And we cooked pretty simple food. The fanciest thing we cooked was chicken, but mostly hot dogs and burgers and things like that. But it wasn't what we did that mattered. The service was powerful because of who we understood ourselves to be and how we understood those we served. Our host, this, this gracious owner of the van and the barbecue, said to us before we went out one of the times, he said, the food is just a vehicle for us to connect. 
desperate kind of place in Detroit that we went to. He said, all kinds of people come here out for food, and indeed, as we were leaving, somebody else was coming from our church. But we are here together so we can see one another, so we can see the humanity and the connection that we have with one another through Jesus Christ. We're here to hear stories and, and play games and, and make connections. I remember vividly how I saw this, this same guy, this kind of leader for us, who was once homeless and an addict himself. How he turned away from the grill on which he was working, and it was pretty smoky, and there were lots of food coming, and lots of people wanting to eat. And I went up to him, and I said, hey, can I take over? It looks like the smoke's really getting to you. And he looked at me, and he said, it isn't the smoke. It's the laughter. He was crying tears of joy. Because he saw something he could only describe as a window into God's kingdom right here and right now. And the laughter of those wonderful kids as they got it and they connected and they heard stories and they had so much to tell and to share. As they knew names of people they could easily pass by, easily humanize. There was a moment when there was recovery of sight for the blind and release of those who were bound. And maybe not a year, but a moment where the Lord's favor was as palpable and as real as the smoke from that fire. May it be so today for us as we go to uh, Seattle to share the sweet wine and rich meat of warm clothes and personal care items to our brothers and sisters in Seattle. You see, because we carry this, this word, this promise, this sermon, if you will, of Jesus into our hometown, into our neighborhoods, physically and now digitally, of course, in this age as well, we refuse in that to let the message of hope be a thing of the past, something we remember. We refuse to let the life of Jesus be some historical event about a neat guy that lived one time, or to be some kind of badge of our, of our social club that's just private for us. Rather, it becomes for us a very living and very real message of hope and release and love and grace right here, right now, right at this time. Matt Skinner from Luther Seminary was commenting about this word, and he says that Jesus, in his sermon, calls all things that might inhibit our flourishing or might enslave us or others as marked for destruction. Those things that seem hopeless and like dark tunnels to us, whether it be in our own home or in our own society or somewhere else, all of those things are like dying, uh, diseased trees in a beautiful forest. They are marked cut down and thrown away and burned in the fire of God's judgment so that we might flourish together as brothers and sisters. Isn't that a beautiful image and promise that we carry to a world in great need? A country in peril because of our divisions? A church, a wider church that's sometimes more attentive to managing the God corporation or figuring out who's in and out than just following Jesus? culture that we enter today desperately looking for grounding, looking for identity, looking for connection and hope. The choir sung today, I wrote this down, I have dreamed a great dream that your love will rule our land. feels like that hymn was written just for us today. And that word of promise continues to be preached today.
this together. So I encourage you to follow along. And I want to celebrate, dear friends, we give thanks for the gift of baptism as we come before God to make public affirmation of our baptism into Christ and receive new members into our congregation. So Lowell Rosen transfers into our congregation. Of course, we've got the Biddle family back. Yay. Um, Roger and Marcia Sirwald are down south. They're transferring into our congregation. Um, Justin uh, and Olivia, of course, are here. So you know, we celebrate that their transfers come in. Officially, Tanya um, Bannon is transferring from Family of God. And James and Ann Pyatt are also transferring from Family of God. Carol Willis is um, transferring from the congregation of the East Coast, but she's sick today. She's our youth council member.
understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, the spirit of joy in your presence, both now and forever.
united us with Christ, making us one with all your people. Now send us forth with the power of your spirit, that we may proclaim your redeeming love to the world, and continue forever in the risen life of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Light and peace are yours through Jesus Christ. Let your light so shine before others that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Almighty God, 